Welcome first-time listeners and returners to the Sports Deli, where everyone deserves a seat at the table. What about f***ing Colin? Why does he not have a f***ing job? Because he's still being white balls. Why is Tom not speaking out about that? He should be his biggest f***ing ally. And he hasn't said one f***ing thing. A lot of people that have come on this show, I don't know why, they've gotten some good f***ing jobs afterwards. Jim Rome in the jungle. It's right here in the sports deli, baby. We got some good ass karma right here. Let's fucking go. I love <laughs> oh, man. it. I love it. Coach Herrick's camp, which was very, very, very important to him. How about that? We hope you enjoy today's show, everyone. All right, let's rock and roll. So today's podcast is brought to you by my Amazon shop. Check it out at amazon.com backslash shop backslash the sports deli and you can see all the products that i've done videos on my idealist and my shoppable photos i may make a commission on any of the things that you watch or see but it's at no extra cost to you enjoy today's short do we have to refer to him as mr duncan like i i'm just wondering yeah, yeah please i'm very formal secretary duncan <laughs> there you go exactly <laughs> just put a sir on the end of it Secretary Duncan, <laughs> sir. all right here we go we're so honored to welcome one day away from Remember Slavery Day and four days away from Women's Equality Day, former national champion coach at UCLA and host of the Front Row podcast, Mark Gottfried. Besides winning a national title, he's been to an Elite Eight, a Sweet 16, and many other postseason tournaments. And today, you will hear the rest of the story, Paul Harvey reference there. He was born the same day as Bill Maher, astronaut Buzz Aldrin, and the exact same day and year as former NBA champion Ron Harper. And the day before, Jack Nicholas and Hakeem Olajuwon. You can find him on Instagram at Mark underscore Godfried. And we're so honored to have you here today, Mark. Uh, I know you've been doing a lot of this podcast stuff, and I think you were just on with uh, somebody that was also on our show uh, from Fox Sports Radio. You can tell us all about that experience. He and I have gone back and forth on a number of issues, but uh, you know, shout out to him. Um, and uh, but welcome, we're we're honored that you're here. You definitely have a seat at our table. Well, thank you. It's, I'm glad to be here. It's fun. These are these are actually kind of fun for me. I think I'm going to throw one more stat at you. <clears throat> I think January 20th, my birthday. I hope I have this right. I think every president who has been inaugurated, which is all of them, I think they're always inaugurated on January 20th. How about that? You see how we played off of each other there? I left that out on purpose so they <laughs> tied that in. I love that, Jim. Wow, that's <laughs> so that's a special day for you. Uh, absolutely. Whatever side of the aisle you're on, ladies and gentlemen. What do you think of my LED microphone? It's the first time I've used it. I just figured I'd try it today. It was it was a gift. So I just said, you know, hey, let's do it. You know what I mean? Because it has sort of the Laker colors. I like, colors. It. I yeah. like it. I like it. I like it. It is kind of Laker color. So that's good. Yeah, it is. Uh, so let, listen, I, you know, I, sometimes I go chronologically. Sometimes I don't. You know, I've been doing this for four years, you know, pivoted after the unaliving of uh, George Floyd. And, uh, you know, you were at Northridge at the time, you know, when, when all this was happening. And so I definitely want to get into your mindset. Uh, you know, you lived in the sixties, obviously, uh, with JFK and that situation and civil rights, and you were in the South. And, uh, so I'm just curious, obviously, you know, you weren't really aware until the seventies, but you still grew up in the sixties, uh, 64, I believe. Um, but tell us what it was like, you know, your dad was a coach, your uncle was a coach. And I know you've talked about this before, but I think it resonates with a lot of people 
especially people that are in the white space and, you know, we're allies, obviously we're coaches. We understand differently what it's like to be in a locker room, you know, and that's the great equalizer. So tell everyone what it was like in the sixties and seventies, uh, in the home of Mark Gottfried. Well, when I was young, it was uh, interesting because my dad at the time, he was a high school basketball coach and a division three basketball coach in Ohio. And he later became a division one basketball coach at Southern Illinois for a couple of years. And then he became an athletic director years later at University of South Alabama down in Mobile. And then my uncle, Mike Godfrey, you know, coached and uh, head football coach at Kansas and Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and, you know, blah, 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 on and on. But the great thing for me was <clears throat> I was able as a young person, you know, six, eight, six, seven, eight, nine years old. I can probably go back and remember little things here and there, but I was always in a locker room and I was around, you know, groups of players, uh, white and black and from all different walks of life. And so for me growing up, I didn't really ever see color. I just always saw people and, uh, you know, I saw my dad's teams and, and, and Division three basketball, much different than Division one. sometimes is, you know, way back then, I can remember after games, um, the players would come over to our house. My mom would cook sandwiches and she'd have food and, you know, they'd be going in the refrigerator and, you know, just like they were one of us, just like my sister and I. And so I had a wonderful experience growing up because I got to uh, be around athletics, be around coaches. Um, and then it's interesting as you get older, a lot of those guys that even played for my dad or played for my uncle Mike, I'll run into them or hear from them. And they're much older than me sometimes. But uh, there's it's interesting. You still have like a bond, even though I didn't coach them. I was just a little guy running around the locker room or the gym or practice. But uh, anyway, it just was a it was a great way to grow up. I'm very, very appreciative of it. Yeah. And, you know, there's life lessons that you don't realize until years later. Uh, just about how you interact with people and your level of sensitivity and, you know, how you nurture your culture, you know, and you've had to, you know, go into cultures and rebuild and, you know, have pressure from that perspective. But it's it's always interesting uh, to talk to architects in the coaching space because that's what you're doing. You're building something from the foundation up if you don't have a strong foundation. Um uh, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll crumble, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so really interesting stuff. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. And, and man, I thought about a lot of things. And so um, shout out to D3. Uh, I had a chance to go D1 at Fairleigh Dickinson, but chose uh, to be on the first team in the history of a D3 program in Baltimore. And, you know, Popovich just did his speech and he talked about D3. So, you know, shout out to D3. A lot, a lot of the older guys, you mentioned high school too. A lot of guys got their start back in the day, you know, at the high school level and, you know, D3 and working their way up. And so I, I'm curious to ask you, because this is something that we've talked about with a lot of, you know, NBA guys and coaches. Uh, and Coach Herrick talked about it growing up in West Virginia. And, you know, he used to go over into the neighborhoods during segregation and they didn't care because basketball was a universal language. So how was that part for you a thing, too, where you would go into the, you know, uh, black and brown neighborhoods and they would come into your neighborhoods? you know, despite, you know, what might have been portrayed as a narrative, you know, in the media, because, you know, you just wanted the ball. You know, when I, when I was young, uh, truthfully, I really, you know, I didn't see color as much. I really didn't, you know, I think when you get older, maybe, but 
Here's what I've learned in my lifetime. I think people want to be around good people. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they're, you know, what race or it just doesn't matter. You know, uh, some of my best friends right now in my life are some of the guys I coached with, played with, you know, some black guys here and there. And to me, it, does, it makes no difference because if you're a good person and you're uh, somebody that I want to be around or that, you know, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, if you're a bad person, I really don't want to be around you. If you're a guy that, you know, doesn't align with some things that, uh, you know, from a character standpoint, I really don't care. And most of us are that way. And we, we choose friends and we choose our acquaintances based on how a person's character is and if they're a good person. I've always felt, <clears throat> even as a coach, and, you know, obviously I've coached a lot of black players and uh, most of my teams were predominantly black. Matter of fact, at Alabama, I used to have some, uh, you know, I played at Alabama, then later coached at Alabama, but I used to have some boosters always joke with me like, man, I, I wonder if you would have ever recruited you, you know, because I was white because mo most of my team was predominantly black. But those guys, I think that I coached, uh, it's reciprocal back and forth. Your relationship is built on trust and respect. Um, do you care about me? Do I care about you? You know, I think all of us, if we find people that care about us, we don't really care if they're Asian or Hispanic or black. We don't really care, you know? And so for, I was very fortunate to grow, to grow up around some amazingly wonderful people who are wonderful to this day, uh, who might be white, who might be black. And so for me, in the last couple of years, to be quite honest, like I get a little frustrated because I, I do feel like it's, it's thrust into the equation, into the conversation, sometimes just too often. I, I think we just need to evaluate people on how, how we treat them, how they treat us, and mutual respect for one another, and you get on with life. Life is too short. And um, so anyway, that's kind of – I was lucky to grow up around it, and uh, I've never felt for me it's been one kind of an issue one way or another with the guys I've coached or coached with those type things. Yeah, there's some inevitabilities that uh, come along with it as a byproduct, you know, talking about building off what you just said at the end, because what used to be hidden and um, not exposed is just going to be exposed now because of social media and phones, which we can talk about it or we cannot talk about it. But in my opinion, that's a good thing. Because there has to be a shift, not only in behavior, but in the consciousness and how people see marginalized communities. And we have to be better vessels and bridges. And the only way to do that is, as we say in you know coaching all the time, film don't lie. Mm -hmm. And so when you see uh, cops behaving a certain way or people behaving a certain way that are uh, unbecoming of... Um, somebody who just has a moral code or being a, you know an American then you know, I think it's it's going to continue to be a part of the conversation and all we can do uh, is continue to support you know all these marginalized com communities that are not uh, still uh, be allowed to go into certain spaces so let's uh, table that for a second so you average a double double in high school right which was rare usually, you know, um, 
you're either back then a great defender or a great rebounder, but you were, I mean, you were boarding, you were scoring. What were you working on back then? Cause I'm just curious uh, because, you know, like you said, there, it was just different back then. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that, you know, in terms of averaging a double, double at your size. That's, I mean, that was amazing. Well, here's, here's what was interesting. You know, we've kind of uh, morphed into this new era where, you know, player development, skill development, um, you know, all the way up to the NBA, uh, you know, they're hiring guys right now that are only uh, there for player development, to work out guys and work on your skills. And, you know, every player nowadays, every young guy has a kind of a coach on the side that's going to, you know, we're going to do drills together and you know, all those things. So all those things are great, by the way, that it's, it's allowed players to become a lot better, in my opinion. They've really improved a lot. But, you know, back when I was, you know, high school and then into college in the 70s and then the, in the 80s, that never really existed. So for me, it was what do we have to do to win the game? I just want to win. I, if I got to go get a rebound to help us win, I need to go get a rebound. I, you know, somehow I got to win the game. That's all I really cared about is wanting to win. And then obviously, you know, you're trying to become a better player individually. But it wasn't like it is now where uh, there's so many skill coaches. And there's actually a niche for that now in college and in NBA where somebody can become just kind of a skill development guy and not really, you know, uh, dive into everything about coaching and, you know, building a team and, you know, what offense, what defense, you know, all those type things that we think about. Uh, but back then we didn't, we didn't have that. I just wanted to win and it didn't matter to me what I had to do. I just wanted my team to win somehow. And, uh, and maybe that was too, cause I was also, you know, brought up in a coach's family where I understood how important winning was, um, you know, because you're, you're going home with the, the coach that's feeling the weight of a win or loss more than anything. So uh, I just wanted to win, man. Uh, that was all when I was young, I got to do whatever I can to win. I wanted to be a great player. Yeah. I can remember this, uh, my, my, my dad, I think it was in the eighth or ninth grade. And I had been invited way back then the five-star basketball camp prior to all this AAU traveling teams, you know, we went to camps and uh, Howard Garfinkel uh, ran the camps from the, up in the Northeast and they invited a number of the best players in the country to these camps. I remember coming home and uh, my dad encouraged me to take a three by five note card and on the note card to write down a short term, medium term and long term goal, which my short term goal was, you know, I wanted to, uh, you know, start, uh, you know, on the varsity as a, I think I was, a, as going into my sophomore year, I want to be a starter. Then my medium range goal is I wanted uh, to be, to be the best basketball player the best player at my position in the state uh, of Alabama and then I wanted to be uh, a division one basketball player but then he said here's what I want you to do take that card tape it to your headboard by your bed and every day when you wake up just look at that card and ask yourself are you going to do anything today that's going to push you towards those goals it's kind of an old-fashioned way to go about it but it's uh it was tremendously helpful and I think true today uh, so many people don't have goals they're not they don't really work towards anything specific so for me it was a big help yeah that's awesome shout out to the old school way to grind <laughs> be motivated man I, I absolutely love that 
Uh, wait, so I usually ask this in the rapid fire. So if you were playing in today's game, what, what, what would be your go-to move? <laughs> Step back, Euro, Rondo, Steve Smith. Like what, what, what would it be? So for me, here's here's what happened for me. So as a son of a coach, I learned I learned the techniques of shooting at an early age. Yeah. I wish I would have learned that in my golf game. I know I never knew the fundamentals, you know. So now you you learn it later in life, and you really kind of stink all the way through life. But in basketball, I was taught proper ways to shoot with my elbow in, wrist under the ball, you know, follow through all the things. So <clears throat> I've always watched players play, and me, I put a premium on shooting. Like for me. Um, like Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, those two guys for me, and the Ray Allens and Reggie Millers and, you know, all those guys. So for me, if I can catch it and you're a little bit away from me, I'm going to get it off and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make a three. And that's kind of, for me, it's real simple. Doesn't have to be real tricky. One thing I have admired watching players over the years and, I brought up Clay Thompson's name. I think Clay Thompson, for the basketball fans, he puts he gets the ball into his shooting pocket probably faster and quicker than anybody I've ever seen. It doesn't matter where the pass is thrown. You can throw it to him at his knees. He catches it, and it's, it's in his shooting pocket so quick. So for me, I've always watched these guys who are great shooters, and uh, – that's where I, that's kind of where my heart is. So if you if 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 you and I play on the same team and we got to win the game, get get it to me, and I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out a way to make it. Promise you. And uh, that's the way that was my mentality. Yeah, I love that. I remember you and uh, Lorenzo Romar. Shout out to Lorenzo um, on that UCLA staff at camp. You guys would always do the shooting demonstrations. Well, Lorenzo would play one on one because everybody thought they could beat him, and then. <laughs> He would do this little quick tap behind the back and just, man, talk about just, you know, nowadays back then. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was ahead of his time, too. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Well, shout out to those four guys, Splash Brothers, and they all, yep. shoot, they all shoot differently. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they have some things in common, but Ray Allen it was arguably the quickest along with Steph. Clay sort of is wider than you would ever teach with his feet. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Reggie Miller was just awkward, but mm -hmm. it worked. So you know, but but they all had they had great follow through. Yeah, you know, it's, it, here's an interesting thing. I, I used to do this all the time. People might think I'm a little bit nutty and a little quirky. When I was recruiting players, and I recruited you know guys for 30 years, you know more than that, probably 33 years. Uh, I always wanted to get to the high school games early. I always wanted to stand underneath the basket. And I would watch guys shoot. And here's a tricky one for you. I don't know if people would agree, but this was the way I was taught. I've never seen a great shooter that shoots the ball and then watches the flight of the ball. I've always, your eyes stay on the rim. And for me, I'd get underneath the basket and I'd just watch guys shoot. And, and I would watch technique and watch little things about how they shot the ball. So those guys I mentioned, <clears throat> they all had some... Even though some things were different, they had a lot of common things as well with their technique and shooting and follow through and their, you know, where the ball was placed, all those kind of things, and their eyes on the target, and, you know, little things like that. Interesting. I'm always trying to pick up, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, as a professional basketball skills trainer myself. So shout out to me. 
uh, for wanting to continue to evolve and listen to guys like uh, Coach Gottfried here to make myself a better version of myself and put better tools in my toolbox as a skills trainer. Um, so a uh, little uh, levity there. But in all seriousness, you just talked about recruiting for 30 years. And so I want to sort of talk about the difference between recruiting, not necessarily at the school you're at, because obviously the school is part of it now. NIL is a part of it, the transfer portal, free agency. But, you know, you recruited some of the best recruiting classes, you know, arguably ever, um, especially at UCLA. And so, you, you, you know, you were a part of the transfer portal. You left Oral Roberts. You went to Alabama. And so then you had to navigate that as a coach, you know, being recruited and then recruiting for so long. So what, what was it like being recruited? Uh, and then how did you see the process evolve? Because I've asked Jay Billis this when he came on the show about the NCAA and the either the erosion of it or the lack of forward thinking with regards to the NCAA. And as a result, we saw, you know, what happened a couple of years ago with regards to NIL and how everything has shifted. So what, what are your thoughts about the evolution of the college game from all those perspectives? Well, <clears throat> there's a lot to unwrap there, but yeah. uh, recruiting for me was all about just building relationships with the people that you recruited. And, you know, it's like anything in life, you know, I, I was fortunate to be able to, you know, forge some great relationships. I, mean, I ran into Toby Bailey the other day. I was at an event in uh, LA and uh, probably one of the most wonderful, beautiful guys I've ever been around to this day. But even when he was in high school, great parents, great family. And, and we had a lot of those, Ed O'Bannon and Charles, their parents were phenomenal. Tyus said, I mean, I can go through George Zedek. He came back to, from Czech, the Czech Republic this year, and I got to spend some time with him. But even all the years at Alabama and, and I was at Murray State and NC State and all those places, uh, you know, that's that's really what recruiting is to me. It's it's hard work. Uh, it's time consuming, but you're just you're building some wonderful relationships with people that hopefully that, that last way beyond, you know, those whatever number of years you play together. In regard to the NIL, I, I have some really strong opinions. And I know Jay has kind of been one of the guys that is Jay Billis and kind of advocated for the student athlete. And there are a lot of things I would agree with Jay on some things I'm not sure I agree on, but you have to go back and remember the genesis of this, of the NIL. And it was unfortunately for me, somebody I know well and love and Ed O'Bannon, you know, Ed O'Bannon is playing EA sports and his likeness is in the game. You know, it's a slender, tall, left-handed black guy wearing number 31 for UCLA, and we all know it's him. But the NCAA and EA Sports, they're making a lot of money off of the college basketball uh, video game. And one of Ed's friends said, you know, Ed, what do you get from that? And he's like, well, I don't get anything. And that began kind of a long process where all of a sudden that ends up in the Supreme Court one day. And really, if you think about that, the genesis of all that, too, was the NCAA signs a, a billion-dollar contract over a seven-year period with CBS, TNT, you know, all the, you know, all the television networks. And then the players who are playing aren't receiving anything. So there's a billion dollars out there. It's plastered all over every newspaper in the world that the, that the NCAA has negotiated this massive contract. Players aren't, but the players aren't sharing. Here, here's what bothers me more than anything with the NIL. The NCAA is still not sharing their money. 
that's the part that bothers me more than anything. The name, image, and likeness, in theory, if you're Johnny Football at Texas A&M, Johnny Manziel a few years ago, and I've gotten to know Johnny a little bit. Hey, I get it. You know, the guy probably, it was probably one of his, you know, most, uh, most uh, the time when he was probably the most notable in his life, maybe, but he couldn't cash in on any uh, revenue from that. But the fact now is the pressure is on boosters. And I, I know people say, well, yeah, but you know, if Bryce Young, the quarterback at Alabama, if he can do Dr. Pepper commercials and make a million dollars, we, you know, we kind of get that. Everybody says, okay, I kind of understand that one. But there's always unintended consequences. And the unintended consequence is now every player wants money at every level. I'm not talking about just in the SEC or the Pac-10 or Pac-12 or Big 12. I'm talking about in the Big West and the uh, Mountain West and the American East Conference. And, well, and so, too. yeah, high school guys now, they're trying to figure out how to position themselves to get NIL, which isn't, which isn't at all bad. But as we sit here today, professional sports have a salary cap, but there's no salary cap in college for a, a team. Uh, professional sports, your contract is transparent, open to the world. We all can see it and know it. And you got a three-year contract at $36 million. Okay, that's what it is. Uh, in college sports right now, this is the Wild West. Like, I could sign you to a, you know, to play for my team, and and our collective at our school said, hey, we're going to do an autograph signing and pay you $100,000. And midway through the season, you might come and say, hey, I need another $100,000. Like, it, there's no contract with it. There, there's it, it's uh, so I just don't think with there's no guardrails at all right now, and I think it's creating a lot of chaos. And uh, I just don't think that's what college athletics is all about, in my opinion. I'm happy for the players; they can make some money. I don't like the fact that every kid out there is is making decisions based on who's going to pay me the most right now as a, as a college kid. I just don't think that's what we're all about. You have aspirations to coach again? I do. I'm not sure I'd have a lot of fun coaching in college. Uh, when I talk to all of my friends right now in coaching, uh, there's always been obstacles. There's all, there's always been things that would frustrate us, but the combination of the NIL and the portal kind of happening at the same time, really created a uh just really yeah it's it's not i just don't the guys i talk to they're just not having much fun anymore you know guys are walking in and saying hey coach if you don't get me two hundred fifty thousand dollars, i'm going into the portal so did were right. you surprised lab took that job what's that were you surprised lab took that job no because i know steve you know all of us uh that have coached most of our lives that they're still there's always something in there that, you know, hey, I can do it. I can turn this thing around and and I can have some fun with it. Uh, so is it is it is it different if you're at a low D1 like that where they're not going to be expecting those types of deals that you'd find in a power five? Oh, don't be don't fool yourself now. They they want them there, too. You know, and, and here's what's happening with the lower division one schools. And I got a lot of friends that coach at, at that level as well. The student athlete now, the player, they're almost viewing a, and I hope it doesn't happen with Steve because I'm rooting for him, but, you know, okay, I'm a, I'm a high school kid. I didn't get recruited by UCLA, and I didn't get recruited by Kentucky and Duke and North Carolina, 
hey, I chose San Diego, but I'm going there so I can get some numbers, stats, and I'm out of there as soon as I can to go up. So if you go back years ago, that, that was the junior college model. You know, I went to junior college to hopefully play a little bit and improve my position, become a better player, and then after two years of junior college, I can then, you know, end up at whatever school. Kids are now using the low division one schools as a 100% stepping stone. I am going there so that I can go to the next place, period. I don't have to sit out. I can go there for a year. And, and if you're at a, you know, the San Diego's, uh, you know, uh, Cal State Fullerton's of the world, if you get a really, really good freshman who, you know, is a freshman of the year or he's all league or averages 15 points a game, you got your hands full to keep him, period. That guy's out. He's going somewhere else. And so it just has become so convoluted. I, I just don't – I don't know that it's as much fun. You got to try to – you got to find ways to make it fun because all those things I think will drive you nuts. Uh, so I'll give you the choice on this next, uh, these next two things. Uh, so coach K coach Bayheim, Jay Wright retired sort of partially to your point about what it's like to be coaching now. Um, and <laughs> we could tie in uh, coach Wooden uh, and how he operated, you know, back then and how he built cultures and had success. Uh, or uh, we not necessarily in this order, but we could delve into. Uh, we had Matt Doherty on the show, and the th the thing about Matt that I really uh, loved watching him, I guess, sort of reinvent himself, as he, he's acknowledged some of the mistakes that he's made uh, along the way, and he, like you, is a very spiritual person, and you know he was in North Carolina and he understood the pressures there, just like you understood the pressures about where you were. But, um, you know, and I don't come on the show to box people in or, you know, try and talk about something that people don't want to talk about. But I do like to talk about people learning from their mistakes or reinventing themselves or, you know, where they're going now. Uh, because some of the things that were mistakes back then when Dale Brown was coaching, I remember I read this in, I don't know, those Raw Recruits or one of the books. And one of the kids needed to fly home for a funeral. And they said it was a violation if Coach Brown flew them back. When he was coaching at LSU, you know, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, shout out to him and, you know, the other guys that played there. But like he said, OK, well, then slap me with the violation because I'm flying my kid home for the funeral. So my point is that some of the things that were violations back then are not now. And so we don't have to delve into specifics, but like Matt, do you feel like you are um, in a place now where you're trying to sort of reinvent yourself or you know, learn from your mistakes or ascend on a different kind of path with the the foundational things still in place. And so I, I'm interested in a little deeper conversation with regards mm -hmm. to that from the human perspective. Forget ball. Mm -hmm. It's a great question, and I'm glad you asked it. So for me personally, you know, I've made some mistakes, and it's cost me. And uh, um, you're always trying to learn from them. Uh, nobody out there is completely blameless. Uh, there's a lot of people in college basketball who play outside the rules. Some get caught, and a lot of times guys don't get caught. Doesn't make it right or wrong. It's just part of the deal. And, uh, you know, it's like speeding down the highway. We all kind of speed here and there, but until we get a ticket sometimes, you know, and it's easy to look at that guy that the police stopped and say, look at that clown over there that got stopped by the police as we go by going 80. 
and it happens a lot. So for me personally, uh, I think number one is you have to take ownership when you have mistakes. And I have never, ever tried to shift blame. Uh, first thing I need to do is look in the mirror. And I, you got to be honest and, and say, um, you know, I had a choice to make and I made the wrong one. And uh, there's a penalty uh, for that. And that's okay. Uh, life does move on and it, it keeps moving. And, and I think, uh, you know, there's always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be people that throw stones. I, I, th I think for me, I guess coaching for so many years, you get used to the fact that you kind of have to learn how to let some of that roll off your back. Um, but I think number one, you have to be honest with yourself and you have to admit and not hide behind the facts that, yeah, um, and you're right. Sometimes if you look back, I remember Kelvin got in, uh, Samson got in big trouble for excessive phone calls. And then, you know, the NCAA pinned him pretty hard on that one. And then a year later, they changed the rules where you could have unlimited phone calls. Now, here's a guy. Now, he's not out murdering anybody. He's made too many phone calls. Uh, you know, we had some guys on campus at Northridge during a dead period. Um, there was a lot of schools in the country that were doing that, but some of them, most of them didn't get caught. And, uh, the bottom line is whether I think it's jaywalking or I think it's something else, it was still a rule. So I think you have to always be honest and you have to admit where you made mistakes. If you're not willing to admit and be honest, I don't think you could ever grow from that because that's, that's how you begin to, to, to have growth and maturity. And then you got to hold your head up high and you got to figure out the next step in life. Like we all do. And, uh, some people have a difficult time with that. And, uh, you know, so, but I, I think for me, more than anything, that's probably where I am. You know, I enjoyed coaching. Um, I honestly didn't enjoy coaching at a, at a low, low level where the finances and the revenue, there, there wasn't any money at all. And uh, you felt like, you know, you were kind of swimming uphill every day, even against teams in your conference who had more. That, that wasn't a lot of fun for me. But um, I did enjoy coaching, and may maybe someday somewhere that'll, that'll be something that'll be a part of my future again. So we'll see. But in the meantime, I'm not going to let anybody or anything steal my joy. Um, probably more than anything, it's probably helped my faith more than anything uh, because it's, you know, uh, difficult times. It kind of forces you to look within and reevaluate yourself probably closer than Maybe when you're rolling, uh, when you're on top of the crest rolling, maybe we don't, maybe we don't do that as much then. So there's always positive things and good things that can come out of everything. Yeah, and you've um, been at the top, not only knocking off number one teams in the country, but winning it all. And uh, you know, I'd like to talk about Coach Harris for a second because I know he was very impactful in your life. Uh, not only you working for him, but then you just mentioned Northridge, him working for you. Uh, so how were both of those experiences, uh, having him come as sort of a, another set of eyes later in uh, your career and then working for him? And, and I know you had the number one recruiting class back then at UCLA, but did, obviously we always think we're going to, you know, the goal is to win it all. And UCLA, the goal is to win it all every yep, year. Yep, yep. Um, but, but how are those two experiences with Coach Herrick? Well, let me do, tell you this. Let me give you a little backdrop first. And uh, when I was young and my dad was coaching, I think probably one thing that I saw and learned was 
those that understood loyalty and those that didn't understand loyalty. And in coaching, a lot of times, there's a lot of people that aren't very loyal to the people that have helped them. So for me, that's always been a big deal. You know, who along the way has helped me? Because somebody's helped somebody along the way. No, nobody gets to a high level without somebody helping them. I just, you know, I had uh, Cedric the Entertainer on my podcast the other day. It was wonderful. And he talked about, you know, how uh, Steve Harvey was the one for him that kind of saw him and then pulled him up and gave him some opportunities that then led to, you know, bigger things. And Cedric is wonderful. He's a wonderful guy, but, you know, still is loyal to him. That, that doesn't mean a blind loyalty that, you know, no matter what, but you have a great loyalty and an affinity for those that helped you. So Jim Herrick gave my first coaching job. I was a graduate assistant. One year later, you know, I'm one of the three, you know, kind of main assistants. And then two years after that, uh, I'm the only one left. And then we brought Steve Lavin in and Lorenzo in uh, to UCLA. But Jim Herrick, you know, gave me a job, then promoted me twice after I, after he'd hired me. And so I never would have been able to maybe do the things I did if it weren't for somebody like him giving me that chance. Um, when he was out of coaching, uh, was at NC state and we took our team to Spain and I brought him and his now uh, new wife, Allison with us uh, to Spain. We had a wonderful time. He would come into North Carolina and watch practice and watch my team a little bit, and just give me some thoughts and observations, which was always wonderful. So my relationship with Jim, uh, it was in basketball, but then it was way outside of basketball. You know, he he brought me to his house every year at Thanksgiving and Christmas when I was at UCLA. My family was back in Alabama. Um, so anyway, we we developed a friendship throughout the years where I became close with his children. Obviously, he lost his son, Jim Herrick Jr., here recently, and then Monty and Glenn. And prior to that, when Sally was alive, his wife Sally was, uh, we, we love Sally. And uh, Jim's known all my children since they were born. And, you know, so, uh, and Jim has flaws too, like all of us. And some of them have been magnified out there pretty good. But, you know, at the core, you're, you're talking about somebody who, probably has been as good to me as anybody outside of my parents. And so uh, for that, you know, I'm not one of those guys that just, you know, step away from that or say, hey, you know, I, I don't, you know, I appreciate what people have done for me. And he did a lot for me. Yeah, that's awesome. So your front row podcast, what, how did this come about? Uh, just you had too much time on your hands? <laughs> Well, it's kind of funny. You know, I worked at ESPN for two years and calling games and I actually had a good fun time. And we haven't uh, released any of my episodes yet. Probably in the next week to 10 days, we're going to start putting them out. And and uh, they're, they're going to be a lot of fun. Uh, kind of like you, I, I think what, what you're doing with me today is great because you're asking questions that, you know, you, you want to you want to dig a little deeper with people and draw something out, which I think is interesting or motivating for others. And uh, so I've always kind of wanted to do that. And so, uh, you know, I started this podcast called the front row. I've got some guys uh, helping me. I've had some amazing guests. Jim Beheim the other day was terrific. I've 
I've actually got a guy tomorrow that I've known for about 35 years named DJ Caruso. DJ is a filmmaker, director that, I mean, Disturbia and Eagle Eye. And I mean, he's had 30 phenomenal movies he's uh, directed. But so I, I don't want to just stay in sports. I kind of want to, you know, learn people's stories. I, Cedric, the entertainer, and I, we, we went to a Charger game a couple years back and we sat in the car. We had about an hour drive in the back seat. And I asked him, I said, just tell me your story, Said I'm curious. And he began to tell me this amazing story about his life that um, I would have never known. And so the podcast, I think, it just gives you an opportunity uh, to really have a conversation with people that hopefully, I think for me, I think you're probably very similar in, in the questions you're asking. You, you want to inspire other people too. I mean, you want to have a chance to motivate and inspire somebody else that somebody else might be able to say, wow, that's a, I, I never knew that, or wow, that can apply into my life. And, uh, but also keep it fun. And so for me, here's another thing, Mike, I've learned uh, in life that, you know, I think one time in my life I got away from it, but somebody I remember when I was very young said, Mark, always pursue passion. Don't pursue profit. And, you know, there's been a couple of times where I think, you know, the, the amount of money's dangling out there and you're, you're kind of pursuing profit. But I think when we do stuff where we, we pursue passion, something amazing can kind of come out of that one way or another. And so that's kind of why I'm doing the podcast. It's more of a passion thing, a fun thing. And uh, so far, I've had, I've had a blast. Man, well, authenticity, there's no substitute for it. And, uh, you know, hey, buddy. Sorry about right. oh, I got dogs <laughs> All right. And that's our time's up, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the, the timing is right because you said authentic. Right then, the dogs are barking. So this is as authentic as it got right there. You know, you, you'll 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 get a greater sense of clarity. Uh, you know, you'll see the world in in a different way, and you'll have less blind spots. And so, you know, you want to uh, really show people, you know, as much as you're comfortable showing them, because it does get them to see a different side of you. Um, anything on mental health? Because obviously, that's shifted over the years. That uh, is important to you. You know, I've had six dads. Uh, I talk about this on social media all the time because I'm now a micro-influencer working for Amazon and TikTok. And so I'm out there, get a lot of pushback based on my opinions, which is a conversation for another day. But, anything, you know, Meta World, uh, I don't know what his last name is now, but uh, Meta World. Yeah. And, you know, he's shed light on it. Kevin Love, you know, a lot of the women of WNBA. Uh, would you approach things now differently if you were a coach? Obviously, you'd have sports psychologists and you'd leave it up to them, but you're still a father figure. You know, you're a dad yourself. That's one of the most important things in your life right now. Congratulations on the recent family stuff going on, too, with you guys. So that's awesome. But yeah, you know, from a mental health perspective, uh, I can tell you I was thinking about unaliving myself after two of my dads uh, took their own lives. And if it wasn't for sports and laughter, I probably wouldn't be here. So what are your thoughts on, on that um, space? So first of all, it's, uh, I think it's a good thing that uh, it's kind of uh, been brought more to the forefront recently and that, you know, we all deal with things and you deal with, uh, um, and I, I sometimes the word mental health, it, it's such a broad thing to say. Uh, you know, we just deal with adversity. We deal with things in life that are hard. And every, we've all been brought up differently. We're wired differently. Especially so we, 
Yeah, yeah, and you're right. And you so you have these. Uh, we we go through these periods of time. So I, I think it's really good that uh, you know Kyrie spoke out about it. I think recently uh, with the NBA guys. Now I will say, just kind of as an old school guy, a little bit. Uh, you know, I was kind of raised, and maybe back in the you know the generations prior, you just kind of sucked it up and just you just fought through it. That was, you know, you just kind of learn how, Hey, I gotta, I gotta do that. And uh, so I come from a place where that was kind of instilled in me. You just got to overcome it, Mark, one way or another, you got to figure this thing out. So I try not to be insensitive to, to those people that are struggling. I do worry a little bit now that there's a young generation of people that want to use quote unquote mental health uh, kind of as an excuse to not do something, to be lazy. It bothers me a little bit. In other words, you know, I just really don't feel like working or going to school today. So I want to call in and have a mental health day. And so you got to be careful a little bit that, and it's a fine line to walk because sometimes you don't know, you know, what somebody's really going through. So it's a real thing. Uh, I think in the, the big the big picture, it's a very positive thing that it's it's something that's talked about more than it used to be because I think a lot of people sometimes need help. They really do need help. Then on the flip side, there's always that other side where you worry a little bit about, okay, is somebody, you know, hey, I, I need a day off of practice. <laughs> I'm too tired. Yeah, I need a mental health day, coach. And there's going to be some of that creep in. That's a little bit like we were talking about the unintended consequences of one thing sometimes lead to another. But I do believe uh, in, a, in the big picture that it's, it's something that, that's healthy that we talk about more now than we ever did before. Yeah, and I think across the board, there's more uh, resources and places uh, at the high school level, even uh, intercollegiately and professionally, you know, to help people with these things. So, you know, it is out there. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's answer some fun questions, and I'll leave the floor to you if there's anything else you want to talk about. Um, is there a coach out there that either in, in the studio or that you worked with directly that you learned the most from that you didn't really think you were going to learn the most from, but then you're like, damn, they were quiet all these years, and then they finally got their chance, and now they're paying it forward. I had no idea that they thought like this. You know, something like you know, that. No, I don't think there's one person, but there's there's a lot of people that I just had so much respect for. Like, you know, Jim Beheim was one for me. Uh, competed against him. He's the real deal. He's as authentic and honest <laughs> about anybody you'll ever be around, period. End of story. You know, he's when you talk to him, you're going to get his real thoughts. There's no phony baloney with that guy. Um, you know, when I was at NC State, I was 15 miles away from Roy and Coach K, and, you know, it was a battle every day, and, you know, so I learned a great deal from them. I was at Alabama uh, for Nick Saban's first year and a half. They had went through five head coaches in 10 years, which is nuts, and then, uh, you know, obviously he rolled in there and kind of watched him do and, and kind of lay the, the foundation for what, um, you know, he did. You know, Mike, I played for a great, great, yeah, I played for a great coach at Alabama and Wimp Sanderson. Doesn't get the credit sometimes people he does, that that he deserved because 
he had teams go to the Sweet 16s. I played on three straight Sweet 16 teams, but never, just never took that next step. You know, I never got that next one. But uh, boy, could he coach! I tell you, one thing I've learned too is there's a lot of ways to do this now in coaching. You know, we we think sometimes that our way is the only way, and uh, it's not at all. And I was actually yesterday I played in a golf fundraiser in San Diego and uh, we got to talking about Jay Wright at Villanova and Jay and I coached the Pan Am team uh, that went to Rio de Janeiro. I think it was 2005. Jay was the head coach and, and I was an assistant coach. And, you know, I was brought up in a way like practice plans You know, I drew out every minute of every drill. And if a drill was three minutes long and at the end of three minutes, we're on to the next drill, you know, and I planned this thing out and I get with Jay and, uh, you know, it's five minutes for practice. He hadn't figured out what we're doing yet. And he just kind of, we start and he, he knows in his mind what he kind of wants to do in practice and, you know, all that. And then obviously, you know, Jay is a Hall of Fame guy that, you know, he's just won two in a row and phenomenal. But what I learned was there's a lot of different ways to do this. And we think our way is the only way and our way is not the only way. But uh, so there's not one one coach. I, I've been around some great ones. Uh, watched great ones, competed against great coaches. So there's been a lot. Yeah. Uh, and in the South there, one, one of uh, Alabama's rivals, Arkansas, Nolan Richardson, Nolan Richardson never watched film. So, you know, like you said, there's a lot of different ways to do things. Uh, what, what, do you have a favorite player now that you love to watch? Obviously you mentioned Clay and Steph. Are those your two favorites? You know, I don't know that I have a favorite player. It's kind of interesting. Young young people, you know, they always kind of have favorite guys. I, I have guys I kind of start admiring when I'm when – I'm just a fan, you know, and I watch. Like, we've got this guy for the Lakers now, Austin Barnes, and uh, I love watching him play. He's just tough as nails, and he makes big shots, and he's gritty, and, he, you know. And I, I always uh, – I gravitate more towards the guys that – kind of just do their job. Um, they're not whining out in the public. They're not, you know, they have, they don't have the appearance of selfishness. I'm a, you know, I'm a coach as well. And, uh, and I coach some guys like that. You know, I had Mo Williams play for me, played 15 years in the league, won a world championship with Cleveland. And you talk about an all business guy now that was a throwback dude that loved to practice and practice hard and had a great attitude and wanted to win. And, you know, it's amazing. So, uh, but no, I don't really have a favorite guy. I love shooters. I told you that earlier. Guys that can shoot the ball, you know, they're going to be at the top of my list, you know, no wow. matter what. Kobe, you know, Kobe for me was probably one. Uh, and I'm living in Newport Beach right now where obviously he he lived here at Newport Coast uh, prior to when he passed. And um, so I've gotten to know a lot of people even around here that, you know, knew him pretty well. But boy, what a guy that, what a player he was. Um so anyway, I have a lot of favorites like that. Did he come to UCLA and play with you guys? Um, not, not. I don't remember that. I watched him play in high school. I remember watching him as a high school basketball player at uh, the ABCD camp in Teaneck, New Jersey. And uh, he was even then extremely uh, focused and, like, determined. No no funny business. Like, no, no clowning around, none of that. Man, you talk about a killer at that age. I mean, what a a guy that just uh, – so anyway, I, he's one of my all-time favorites just because of the way he played, and I loved his approach. Yeah, uh, Austin Reeves, I think that's who you were referring to. Yeah, Austin Reeves, I'm sorry. 
Yeah. Well, and we mentioned D3 earlier. One of the best shooters in the league uh, plays for Miami. And he started D3, went to Michigan, and now he's in the league. So uh, you talk about all kinds of different ways to get there. Uh, Sky, you were supposed to skydive into a stadium uh, back in the day. And because of inclement weather, uh, you know, it got canceled. Did you ever skydive before or after that? Uh, and how was that experience? We actually did. And I did skydive and uh, hopped out of an airplane, which was the nuttiest thing ever. And uh, the same guy I did, a you do a tandem. Obviously, I didn't learn how to do it by myself. But the guy that I'm connected to, he brought down uh, George Bush Sr., elder George Bush. He uh, jumped out of a plane with Carl Malone. So I figured if he can get them two guys down, he can probably get me down. But uh, yeah, we did it at NC State. And uh, Actually, they were they wanted me to, to come into midfield of a football game. But I guess when you tandem skydive, the pitch, the, the end zones of the stadium was too high that uh, a single, a solo skydiver can go in. But in a tandem, I guess you got to come in at a flatter rate. So uh, they they uh, they wouldn't let me do it. I told them, ah, let's go for it. Let's try it. But they, they wouldn't let me. But anyway, it was actually a lot of fun. I'm not sure I'll do it again, but it, it was a good fun time that day. So wait, bungee jumping's next? <laughs> no, I'm passing on that one. I don't trust that little rubber cord. <laughs> I'm going to let someone else do that one. Uh, so do you have a favorite app on your phone? Uh, you know, probably not. You know, uh, I'm one of them guys now. I really like Instagram. They're one of the reasons why I like it because I follow pickleball. I'm a pickleball nut now, and I got all these pickleball uh channels or whatever or people that post and i'm watching all this pickleball stuff every day shout out to rick barry we had rick barry on the show is he a pickleball guy my god hell yeah he's in national tournaments he's huge into pickleball well i i'm not in that group but i i i have to quietly admit i play almost every day so uh i'm i'm uh but i'm gonna tell you i absolutely love it but i get on my phone and i can watch these guys and i started learning you know things about drills and how they're making shots and and uh watching some of these players play so for me i I do like doing that now and i probably watch too much but i I have fun with it a couple more uh i know you got to go the the tattoo on your right bicep can you tell everyone what that is so uh it's right here it's a little bit hard to read because the first letter in there but uh so right at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, you know, we're all locked up in our houses. You know, we're all kind of, you know, we're wiping down every carton of milk and all that kind of stuff, you know, back when it very began. And so anyway, I'm sitting around one day and uh, I came up with, uh, it was actually my pastor at my church. He did a sermon uh, and the sermon was titled, It's Never Too Late. And obviously his point was, you know, it's never too late to, you know, begin a relationship with God. And, you know, it's just, it's never too late, you know, it's to start. So I just, uh, it kind of became a mantra for me. Like, so I went down to this place and uh, found this guy and he looked like he was a lead singer in ZZ Top. He had a beard down to his, you know, belly button. And uh, he's, I asked him, I said, could you, could you put this on my arm? And, and he did. And so one day I'm sitting there and I kind of did like this. And I was scratching my head and my daughter looked at me. She said, daddy, is that a tattoo you have? And I said, yep, I got one. And uh, so I was probably 55 years old. And uh, But it became my kind of my mantra that it's never too late. It's never too late to do anything. Start anything, do anything, go try something new. It's and tattoo. so uh, that's it. 
Amazing. Okay, last question. So if you could have any five people at your dinner table, past or present, dead or alive, but you never met them before, who would be at your dinner table? If I've never met them, interesting question. Uh, dead or alive? Pro probably uh, one for me would be uh, probably JFK. I think just as a young guy, and my parents admired him a lot, and he would be somebody that I would say yes. Uh, I wish I could probably have a conversation with him. Let's see. That's a great question. I have to think about that for a minute. Um, you know, I'm kind of into politics a little bit, so I'd probably have to go back with some different presidents throughout time. Maybe a guy like Abraham Lincoln and and uh, probably the, the courage he had to have to make some of the decisions he made. I'd love to pick his brain, uh, you know, uh, with that one. Um, I had so many conversations with John Wooden uh, and I met him, so that's not a fair answer to the question, but um, probably some of the best conversations where I learned the most in life and most of the people you've had on your podcast that have a relationship with John Wooden would probably say John Wooden. I'd talk to that guy forever. Uh, you know, he was phenomenal. Um, well, you know, maybe, uh, what's that? He's doing a deep dive into religion at age 99, reading all these books. So he's an amazing a lifelong learner. Unbelievable. And uh, I used to go with Coach Wood, not to get off track here, but I used to go sit in his house and uh, we would talk about things like leadership or integrity or uh, I mean, there's so many topics and you just sit there with this guy and he would just give you so many amazing lessons and stories, you know, almost like parables, like you're, you feel like you're sitting at the feet. Oh, another person, obviously, for me would be Jesus. I would love to sit with him and kind of, you know, go through his whole <laughs> story of starting at age 30, starting a ministry and zipping around for three years like he did. That had to be uh, quite amazing. So, um, but that's a great question. You caught me off guard on that one. And uh, uh, everyone says I should ask in the beginning, uh, any females at the table? Um, that I haven't met, I would have my fiance since I'm engaged right now. She'd be at the table, but I've met her, so that's not <laughs> that's not fair. You know, probably uh, the the uh, the queen over there in England. I'd love to pick her brain. And uh, it's interesting to me when people uh, sit at the at the top. They're kind of at the top, you know, at the, the positions they were, and I'm always amazed at somebody's story. You know, uh, that's why some of these guys, when I get them on my podcast, I always want to hear their story. Like, because it's always interesting to me. And so even somebody like that would probably be uh, pretty remarkable as well. Uh, okay. I said last question, but since you brought up uh, family, sort of, what's been the most amazing thing about being a dad? Wow. I tell you, for me, my youngest child is 26 and my oldest is 32. Um, I think, you know, when you're, especially when your children are younger, and, and I ask this question a lot to people, you know, if you could just gift, if you could gift your child any characteristics you wanted, you know, what would they be? And I hear a lot of answers. I hear kindness and honesty and hard work and, um, but also just, you know, you wanted to become great citizens, great people more than anything. And I probably get more proud of the fact that my five kids who are, you know, adults now, 
young adults, that they're very close to each other. And uh, they communicate all the time. They're always trying to hang out together, always trying to do stuff for each other. They, they take an interest in one another. And so, um, you know, more than anything, they're going to make mistakes. They've already made a million. They're going to make them throughout their life. That's part of us being human beings. But at the same time, um, I'm, a, I'm a proud dad. But I just think they're just good people. You know, they're good young adults who make me really proud in that regard that um, they care about the right things. They care about people. Um, they want to help people. Um, so that, that to me, probably in a nutshell is, is what makes me the most proud. Well, you've definitely been a coach on and off the hardwood. And um, so who, what guests are you looking forward to the most upcoming here? I might have to have you on my show is what I might have to do, but uh you're I've got a bunch of guys. I've got a bunch of guys coming on that are going to be a lot of fun. You know, Eric Dickerson's coming on my show here in a couple of weeks. Uh, Dave Justice, who, you know, had a phenomenal Hall of Fame type career in baseball. Uh, Bob Myers obviously built the Warriors from a general managership. He's he's coming on. Um, probably one one I'm most excited about here in about three weeks uh, is a guy named David Fagenbaum. It's actually full transparency of my fiance's brother, but David, you know, was a quarterback at Georgetown, got a degree from Oxford, has a degree from the Wharton School of Business, uh, an undergraduate degree at Georgetown, brilliant young guy, but about 10 years ago was diagnosed with a really rare disease called Castleman's disease, and it was it was deadly. He was he was read his last rites a number of times, and and he was told by doctors, there's nothing left we can do, and Basically, it's time to go home and, and get ready to, to die. And uh, he then, uh, as a researcher and a brilliant guy, he set out to discover a cure for his own disease. And not only did he do that, it saved his own life, he saved a number of people's lives, but then he started a nonprofit called Every Cure, where they're taking drugs off the pharmaceutical shelf that were originally designed to, to treat one disease but yet had it have an effectiveness for something else and nobody knows that they can help them. And they're, they're, they're already there. They're sitting at the pharmacy. So it's a, it's kind of a repurposing of uh, already made drugs. He's coming on my show in a couple of weeks. He's a fascinating guy. Just signed a movie deal uh, here in Hollywood. They're doing a, a movie about his life. So he's going to be a great guest, but anyway, I got some wonderful people uh, coming on my show and, once we start to launch all of them and get them out publicly, uh, kind of like you have done with your show, I just want to have fun with it and see where see what happens. Well, you're definitely getting 1% better every day, and that's all we can ask ourselves and uh, other people. Congratulations on the Front Row Podcast. Can't wait to listen to it. And, uh, man, amazing uh, conversation. And you always have a seat at our table anytime and anything I can do for you. Uh, please don't hesitate to ask. And again, thanks so much for what you did for me early on. I'm still coaching. I still have aspirations to coach college ball on the women's side. Uh, I, uh, 17 years ago, I, I made that transition. Uh, it just resonated with me differently. And, uh, you know, you talked about being a skills trainer. That's what I want to do. Be sort of a life coach slash skills trainer because that's my passion. Um, so, but great conversation, man. Uh, coming full circle after 30 plus years uh, and we're both podcasting now. <laughs> How about that? How about that? Well, thank you for having me on. Sounds good, brother. We'll talk soon and uh, okay. uh, 
Help them stay in touch. All right, much love. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Mark Thank Godfrey, you. Uh, former UCLA national champion, and uh, he coaches, as mentioned in passing, at Murray State, NC State, Alabama, Cal State Northridge. And uh, I hope you got some value out of that, some form of inspiration, motivation, education, and a little bit of comedic relief. Uh, man, awesome. And uh, I just love, like he said, having phenomenal conversations and being transparent and just trying to be a better version of yourself. So like I said earlier, you're uh, having better tools in your toolbox, taking some tools out of those toolbox, uh, respective toolboxes that are no longer serving you. So you have less blind spots and you can be a better version of yourself every day. So until next time, thanks for joining us. And again, shout out to Mark Gottfried host of the Front Row Podcast. Uh, and by the time you listen to this, it's probably going to be very close to coming out or uh, it's uh, already out. So check it out. All right. We'll catch up soon. Thanks so much for tuning in today. And until next time, this is Hootie Hoot, host and producer of the Sports Belly Podcast. Much love. And here are today's outtakes from our podcast with Mark Gottfried. Enjoy, ladies and gentlemen. Am I there? Yes, sir. Uh, the audio, not the video, but the audio, definitely. How do we do the video here? If you got it. There we go. There it is. We got it, brother. Man, you're looking younger every year. That's amazing. How you? How Come did on. you? I like that. I like your jersey. Yes, sir. Yeah, we'll uh, probably delve into that a little bit. And you see, um, we have uh, this. Of course, you know what that is. Uh, but you don't know what this is over here. But we'll talk. Which one is that over there? Uh, this is Lav. Uh, sending me a letter when we first met. When I first met you, I don't know. It's probably 31 years ago, honestly. I think it was 92. At uh, oh man, we've had Coach Eric on twice. It's been it's been something. And obviously, he's gone through a loss recently. So uh, yeah. rest in peace to Jim Herrick Jr. And he was influential yep. in my life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we stayed in touch for a while, and then. You know, we sort of branched off, but uh, you know, the one thing that that really helped me early on was all you guys just uh, pouring into us young coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't all have D one starts, and uh, so I really appreciated that. You know, Lav and I still talk. I'm sure you sure. guys do too. He's trying oh, to build yeah. down yep. here. So, yeah. Yep. So, all right, let me do a formal intro. It's, it's sure. quick, and then we'll we'll rock and roll, and we'll we'll try and get one percent better today. By the time we're finished with all this. There you go. <clears throat> Thanks again for joining us today, everyone. Feel free to send me an email to thesportsdeli at gmail.com. Also, check out my link tree. It's backslash Mike Hootner. Also, like to thank a few people. 40 Tons Brand is a socially conscious cannabis brand, and they're doing amazing things. Check them out. We'd also like to thank Moolah Kicks, the first ever female brand basketball shoe in the history of the world. We'd also like to encourage you, if you're having a hard day, and if you're feeling like you just don't want to live anymore, all you have to do is dial 988 from any phone, and there will be someone there 24-7-365. So don't feel like you have to fight this battle alone. Don't forget to do your self-breast and self-testicular exams every month. It's really important, as early detection is the key. Remember, Black Lives Matter. Reach out to your local and state politicians for any individual or group that you feel are being marginalized. Stop the bullying. Stop the Asian hate. 
Let's end gun violence with common sense laws. Let's be allies for the LGBTQIA community. And I challenge those of you in the white space to be anti-racist, to be bridges and vessels, to help bridge the gaps between black and white America. And remember, until next time, it takes a village, everyone. Much love.